Howdy y'all, Jeremy here. There was a lot happening this week. On today's episode of Taxpayer Talks, we discuss the recent interview we had with outgoing Republican State Representative Kyle Biederman and what he had to say about the political culture in the Texas House of Representatives. We also talk about some of the more interesting things to come out of the House Appropriations Committee hearing that took place on Wednesday this week and some of the narratives that are already being set up as we approach the 88th legislative session set to begin in January. Let's get into it. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and it's only made possible from generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks, the podcast where we hold Austin accountable by giving taxpayers news that affects their wallets. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. I'm here with Jeremy, our executive director. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Howdy. Doing great. Awesome. How's your week been, man? You been busy? It's it's been a pretty busy week actually surprisingly. I mean, we're getting we're getting closer and closer to elections, right? And so uh obviously we'll talk about this, but we were down at the Capitol this week monitoring a, a hearing and then of course, you know, just kind of just seeing what everyone's talking about, what issues seem to be important to taxpayers as we get up to the November election. Early voting has started, so it's been a busy week. Yeah, I feel you. I'm, I'm kind of jet lagged today. I spent two two days uh, traveling. We went out to uh, Cass County, uh, Atlanta, Texas, which is almost in Louisiana, uh, and spoke with some patriots out there. I talked about property taxes, and I got back really late uh, Tuesday night, and then headed straight to Austin with you. Uh, and and we'll see what happened to the appropriations hearing. Uh, and so I'm glad to be back home with the family. Uh, and uh, excited yeah, to get through this election season. You know, this is a busy season for everyone in politics, uh, but of course it's a crucial time. So uh, we're hoping to make sure people get out and vote, use our, use our index, and um, looking, looking forward to the 8th to take a little breather before, of course, we start uh, uh, pre-filing. We'll start seeing legislation shortly thereafter. So we got to season ahead of if us. If I'm being honest, I just, I just want the political ads to stop, right? Yeah. So. And the mailers, right? Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Well, hey, it's been a, it's an awesome week. We have a, actually a lot of clips we're going to be uh, looking at today. Uh, the first few uh, were from a bonus episode of Taxpayer Talks we did with our new board member, uh, Kyle Biederman, current uh, state rep. Uh, and so what we're going to do is just uh, look at a few uh, pieces of conversation. Uh, we'll take a look at this first clip and then kind of talk about uh, how that interview went. They have it all set up. Um you know, of all these things you have to spend on. And if you don't, you're a bad person. But, you know, where does all that come from? It comes from these special interest groups and the lobby groups who are getting paid by people who want more money. And so the legislators then, and in order to uh, appease them, and, and of course, to be part of the club and to get more donations and to be liked, they have dinners every night and everything else they get from the lobbyists, they're going to vote for that crap. And then we continue to just grow government. So that's exactly how it works. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, um, <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's so out of control, it's hard to stop the momentum of, uh, of your bureaucracy and the growth of bureaucracy. 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. That was interesting, right? I think uh, he, he lets the cat out of the bag, so to speak, right? The game, if you will, is that lawmakers are incentivized, right? By the people that show up and talk to them, right? The people that donate to them. And that's, that's lobbyists, that's special interest groups. And um, I think that's absolutely true. You can see that all over the state budget, especially over the last few decades, as kind of these like pet projects and stuff get uh, put inside or requested specifically, right? For taxpayer dollars. Um, and I, I I think he kind of speaks to that. And, you know, look, if taxpayers don't show up, taxpayers don't talk to their lawmakers. Right. In the absence of that discussion, these these folks fit the uh, fit the void. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's important that taxpayers realize that the game is rigged against them. Uh, That is the reality of the situation. There's an army of lobbyists and special interest groups that are paid very good money to be in that capital and to cozy up to legislators to get their agendas done. And quite honestly, it's very apparent uh, when you when you've worked in that building like we have, uh, who they're paying more attention to. Uh, and typically, they're paying more attention to the lobbyists. They're paying more attention to the special interest groups. They're paying more attention to their local political subdivision leaders, their their city councils, and their school boards. Uh, who who that's where a lot of the backroom deals happen is is with their local leaders. And so there's kind of this, hey, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Uh, and the problem is a lot of these bad actors just continue to get reelected. Uh, that can be changed, though. You know, not only do taxpayers and voters need to show up at the Capitol and voice their opinions in um, in committee hearings and, and showing up and getting to know their state rep, but more importantly, uh, in campaign season, they need to get active. And if you have a, a bad member who's been bad for a long time, maybe he's a, he has an F on the fiscal index. Um, what you need to do is find a quality candidate and then everyone in that community who declares themselves to be a conservative needs to put their put their resources behind them. That is absolutely the most effective way to clean up Austin is simply just remove bad actors. When when I go and speak and talk to folks, right, I always try to tell them, look, if you're showing up right when the legislative session has started, you're already too late. And I don't mean that to be cynical, right? Like you should still do that, but you should absolutely develop a relationship with your lawmaker right now, right? In the interim time um, and and certainly feel him out on where, where he's at on a lot of these issues, especially issues we talk about constantly all the time, right? We know as former legislative staff, there is no shortage of events, right? Uh, things that you can go to that are sponsored by corporations and lobbyists and all of these things, especially during the legislative session. And those things take the attention of lawmakers and their staff away from constituents during the legislative session. So, you know, you, you shouldn't be showing up during the 140 day siege on your liberty, right? Uh, by alone, right? You should absolutely do that, but you should also do it during the interim time period right yeah absolutely and and i just to kind of add on on the election piece you know most people i talk to um you know there's not as much participation in the primaries in texas and the reality is especially with redistricting that just happened uh most of our districts are gerrymandered and so they're either republican or democrat there's very very few competitive districts in texas so what does that tell us it tells us that the primary is the election and so people of Texas need to wake up and understand that you actually choose your representative in primary season. And so as soon as the legislative session is over, essentially primary campaigning starts because you have less than a year uh, once once that happens. And so uh, it's it's important for taxpayers and voters to understand that if after this session is over, when we come out with our index and they have a failing grade on the index because they are not supporting small government, 
it's it's time to find somebody to, to oust them and it's up to it's incumbent upon uh, voters uh, to do that that is the responsibility we have in our our constitutional republic so well you uh, you brought up local right government officials showing up to the capitol earlier and, and or their lobbyists right as we've talked about several several times it, it's interesting one of the other things of course that representative biederman talked about in our conversation was the was property taxes right and, and not being prioritized by leadership necessarily so i guess it's probably a good time let's let's get into that clip do you think that they in fact have to do something this go around or has not enough political pressure been brought to bear especially on republican lawmakers well they're all going to say that you know they all hear it back in their district and in at the uh, in austin they don't talk about it it all comes down to leadership. If governor, lieutenant governor, and the speaker want to do something true about property taxes and not just increase the deduction for your homestead, I mean, what a joke. You know, what a total slap in the face to say, oh, man, we did this to help reduce your property taxes. Um, I mean, just it's a total joke. It's unbelievable. But it's not the lawmakers. That's what ha- it's really not the lawmakers. It is leadership. And if leadership wants it, just like constitutional carry, I'm, you guys were involved in constitutional carry a lot more than I was when I was there because of your bosses. And uh, it, it went nowhere. And you knew it was going nowhere. You knew it had no chance. This last session, it was like, you can't stop it. It didn't matter what we did. You weren't going to stop con carry because leadership wanted it. You know, so that's really how it is. I don't want to say it's the lawmakers that, uh, you know, really talk about property taxes. They can just do whatever they're told by leadership. So, yeah, he's 100 percent right. You know, and this is something that we have been saying for for years, something we've known as legislative staffers being in the building is the reality is there's three main leaders in Texas. You have the Speaker of the House, who right now is Dave Phelan. You have the Lieutenant Governor, who is Dan Patrick, and you have the Governor who is Abbott, uh, and each one of them will have their own legislative priorities, and each chamber, uh, Dave will have his his priorities, uh, and Patrick will have his, and then Abbott will come out in the state of the state and have his legislative priorities as well. Uh, now, I would argue that Abbott uh, probably has the strongest. Some people would say that Dan Patrick has, has the strongest, but I would argue Abbott has the strongest simply because he has the ability to call special sessions, and he can call as many as he wants. And so he has the ability to put pressure on both chambers, he has the bully pulpit, and he can uh, put out in the media, hey, listen, we're going to keep doing this until these two other guys get them get themselves under control. Uh, and so each one does wield power. Uh, but yes, if leadership opposes it or doesn't care about something, uh, then it's not going to get done. And so something like property tax reform uh, is absolutely going to have to have at least, I would say, two of those three behind it, if not all three, to get it accomplished. Yeah, I mean, so the good news is, right, being cautiously optimistic that you've at least had the lieutenant governor opine, right, on using the budget surplus, whatever portion of it, no matter how small. And then you've, of course, had the governor talk about it using at least half, right? Suppose the supposed largest tax cut in Texas history is coming, uh, that sort of thing. And, of course, at the recent debate, as we've talked about several times, talking about actually putting us on a path to, to buy down school maintenance and operations portion of the property tax, right, to eliminate it. What should be highlighted in this came up in the conversation you can see um, in our episode there on Friday with with Representative Biederman is 
I have not seen Speaker Dade Phelan comment at all about using the budget surplus uh, for property tax relief. In fact, you know, there was an interim charge related uh, to this, but it was talking about using the leftover ARPA funds, right? The funds passed by Congress. Um, and it wasn't necessarily to use not only the $27 billion projected surplus, but any portion of that uh, to do it. And so, you know, it is concerning not having one leg of that quote unquote three-legged stool, right? Uh, having having not said anything about it as we approach the legislative session, which is what, two months away. Yeah, I, you know, you can you can get it done with two out of three. And I think the perfect example, and, and, and uh, Representative Biederman brought this up, was, you know, it's not a secret in Austin that Dan Patrick is opposed to constitutional carry. And, uh, you know, uh, the word on the street is the House actually tossed it over to the Senate in hopes, you know, knowing that he wasn't going to pass it so they could kind of put egg on his face, right? But the reality is we had uh, gun groups and gun advocates blow up Dan Patrick and shut his phone lines down for nearly a week. Uh, and guess what? He conceded. That's what happens when grassroots activists and voters, uh, you know, pressure politicians. And so it did get passed. And so I'm not even sure Abbott was behind that. But once it got to his desk, what are you going to do? Not not sign the pro-gun legislation, you know? And so um, you you can get this done. And there, there's a role everyone has to play, uh, voters included. Uh, I think it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the surplus, right? And, and you're right. Dade has not mentioned that. And when we uh, were in the hearing yesterday, uh, it was funny. I think it was Donna Howard. Uh, they were talking about this socialized broadband that we that we passed, and they were talking about how the the guy said, you know, oh, the four billion is not going to to last very long. And so then Donna Howard kind of insinuated, well, what about the surplus? Could we use some of the surplus to kind of throw at this this you know boondoggle of a program? Uh, and it's no secret, you know, that that Dade has cozied up uh, to Democrats. You know, he allows Democrat chairs. Uh, he had Joe Moody, one of the most liberal Democrats, as his speaker pro tem. Uh, and so this all has kind of got me questioning: like, does Dade even have the stomach to do any property tax reform? You know, we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, we're getting really close, um, but it's it's worrisome to say the least. Well, it, I mean, it's a good segue. So obviously we spent time yesterday, right, uh, at the House Appropriations Committee hearing. Um, this is likely, although I don't know this for, you know, a, a definite, but likely the last public hearing um, of, of the House Appropriations Committee before um, the next legislative session. Uh, they had three things on the agenda. Of course, the most important for our purposes, right, was to uh, kind of view the uh, the select testimony from uh, the legislative appropriation request. These are the agencies, right? request whatever amount of money they want to be allocated for the next two fiscal years. The Legislative Budget Board packages that up nice, neatly, and then it presents that to the committee. But, you know, along in that conversation, among some of the other things we were talking about, the broadband expansion or you know, the socialized broadband, um, as you called it, there were some interesting exchanges to include one that I think really kind of spoke to the heart of the issue, which is, Taxpayers are footing the bill to build out broadband broadband infrastructure across the state of Texas, and there's some lawmakers, to include Representative Schaefer, you'll see here, who believe that maybe the, the free market could do that better. So let's watch that clip. Does any of these monies flow to Starlink? Starlink would need to be an applicant for that funding. Um, I'll, I'll and then so to kind of go back onto the mapping component of this as well. Star um, any any ISP the kind of carrot the way the legislation was written is that any um, any ISP who doesn't submit data to the map 
who cannot participate in the actual program itself. So to your knowledge, they haven't so far? They have not submitted data to us. So the private sector has already brought broadband to my house in East Texas where I didn't have a broadband solution. Mm -hmm. um, so as we keep talking about how we're just going to pour more money into this in the future, have we considered that the private sector is already doing this? Certainly. You know, there's certainly, certainly the private sector is already doing some things in, in other communities as well. But I think the idea here is to address that market failure in, in, in areas that have been uh, neglected for a long period of time where bringing well, that. Starlink, bring you can be anywhere. Mm -hmm. So how is it a community that's – so you see what I'm saying is you just need a satellite receiver and Starlink subscription and – we're passing a lot of money to these companies. Maybe we could just do vouchers or something. I don't know, but I'm an old members. I mean, we're we're doing a lot that the private sector is already doing, in in my opinion. I mean, I just I do want to follow up a little bit on that because this is actually something that offline we had some convers not you and I, but some have had conversations on, and that is that you know Texas is a huge state mm -hmm. and uh, geographically very diverse. And, and so where fiber uh, definitely has an advantage in, in many respects, you could have some areas in West Texas where satellite might actually make a lot more sense mm -hmm. if you're trying to, to reach those people. So it, what have you done to contemplate that in coming up with a state plan for how you're going to cover the, the state? Yeah, and I, and I completely agree. You know, flying out to uh, Amarillo or any of those areas out there, you kind of look out the window and you say, how are you supposed to bring broadband to all these homes that are out here? Especially, you know, they're two, three miles apart from each other. The fiber-only fiber approach is, again, going to burn through that funding. Um, to go back to the satellite component, though, with, within the notice of funding availability that Comptroller Hager pushed back on, NTIA looks at satellite and unlicensed spectrum uh, wireless as unserved areas. So even if you're receiving yeah. 100 or 100 servers through a Starlink satellite, and, but that's your only provider in that location, when this bead program comes online, your area is unserved, and therefore funding needs to go to that location. That's how, and that's how NTIA has set up their program through the notice of funding availability. So, yes, satellite is the answer for some locations because that's the only answer. Um, however, following some of these federal guidelines, you're seeing – they again, as they're fiber focused, they want to be seeing that uh, that that build out to these locations. Oh, that, that's interesting. So I, I appreciate that that feedback. Uh, but if you truly want to cover the entire state, it seems you're going to have to consider all the available technologies. And so it'll make sense in some regions, and mm -hmm. a different one may make sense in a in a different region. I agree. Uh, I absolutely love this response. Uh, I mean, he's right. He's right, one hundred percent. Uh, you know, I actually, I think I, I, I tweeted out something about Starlink as well. Uh, and the reality is, you know, uh, Elon Musk, bless him, you know, he's about to close his deal on Twitter and hopefully free up that platform. He is just a, a renaissance man. He does all kinds of stuff. And I'm not trying to uh, say he has no faults. He does. Right. But the reality is he's a good example of, you know, we can say, quote, unquote, free market because he does receive some subsidies. Right. Um, but he has been just launching thousands and thousands of satellites up uh, to create this Starlink, um, which it's being pitched as. And the hope of the business model is that it will be just as fast as broadband. But you're not going to have to run, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of miles of fiber optic cable. Uh, and it, it's surprising to me that legislators, well, I guess not surprising because, you know, we, we have 
We had a few of them say, you know, I, you know, well, I'm not a very techie person, but hey, I will spend billions of dollars on an archaic technology. It's like the silliness, you know. And so the fact that we don't see the writing on the wall and that we were already throwing five billion dollars uh, at this uh, this problem, we know this is going to take way more money than they expect. It's going to take way longer than they expect. I mean, do you really believe? that we're going to finish this project of, of rural broadband in the next 10 years by then we probably have something even better than starlink don't you think yeah i mean so for context purposes right so obviously the bill that set all this up right passed in the regular session and uh you know to to the chagrin of a lot of lawmakers right who took issue with the fact that the free market could potentially provide a better outcome here right but under the guise of what well, we've got to the 29 billion or 29 million uh texans we've got to provide broadband internet for them right N- never mind that like the market chose not to right for whatever reasons because maybe there wasn't a demand for it out there the infrastructure cost too much really what it was was a setup because they knew money was coming down the pike from the federal government passed through the arpa funding that we spoke about earlier right i.e taxpayers have already footed this bill right um uh, on the national level and so they knew this money was coming. They ended up allocating this money in the third called special legislative session. So, yeah, the state of Texas is allocating the five you know, billion forward or whatever. But like the reality, the reality is or five million. Sorry. The reality is that like there's a heck of a lot of money that's being allocated from the federal government for this. Right. And, and ultimately what it is is the government choosing winners over losers as far as what internet service providers get to build out this broadband infrastructure that they wouldn't do otherwise, right? But they get to have taxpayer money to do it, to be incentivized to do it, if you will. Um, And so, you know, the exchange, I think, between Schaefer um, and the representative from the Broadband Development Office there um, is absolutely kind of just highlights the overall crux of the issue, you know? Yeah, doesn't it make you throw up in your mouth when you say broadband development office? Like, I can't believe we have we have an agency that is their sole focus is to run broadband accord, right? And it, it is concerning. You know, all those are, are concerning. And the fact that the that the guy from the the BDO uh, literally said we're going to blow through this five billion pretty pretty fast. Uh, in other words, like uh, the, we're going to spend way more money. I bet you they spend twenty thirty billion before this whole thing is said and done. Uh, and, and it's problematic. Schaefer made um, many, many statements about, you know, government being involved in private businesses. He said this about EV charging stations is is socialism, you know, and we have, uh, I believe, Ashby right in our next clip who uh, is, is talking about the need to incentivize uh, incentivize businesses. And so let's uh, let's take a look at that clip and uh, and we'll see what we think about it. You know, uh, Representative Howard, you're exactly right. And I think uh, a lot of members of the legislature, probably most members of the legislature, have done a lot of uh, discussion and, and um, have had conversations with their constituencies uh, back in our districts about this issue. Uh, you know, in my area, unlike evidently my East Texas colleague here, um, you know, there's a reason why there's, especially when you look at the map, the broadband map that's been uh, published, that East Texas. South Texas and El Paso in particular, those areas, I mean, we, we have millions of Texans that have no access to internet, much less broadband. So I don't think we can just sit here and say that there's a market-based solution. Um, there is a market-based solution, but it evidently is going to require some incentivation or some incentives. And so I think that's the whole point here. 
is that we need to be technologically agnostic uh, to the chairman's question because what works in Lufkin may not work in El Paso, what may not work in, you know, Austin uh, or Tyler. So, you know, we need to let the market decide that. And, and that's why I was pleased to see the controller Hager uh, pin that letter to the, the Texas delegation, you know, basically saying, asking us to do the same thing Congress asked uh, the feds and the, uh, the bureaucracy to do, which is let's let the market decide who the winners and losers are in terms of broadband providers. And so that hasn't changed. That's where we are as a state. Uh, but I think the chairman's right. It is going to take uh, all hands on deck approach in letting our ISPs dictate the solution to this question. Because the goal here, I think, is simple. We want all 30 million Texans connected to broadband. That's the goal here. And you know, I loved uh, I loved the question uh, Chairman Bonin asked about. You know, if you had all the money in the world, you know, how long would it take? Because ultimately, that's where a lot of people are. Is regardless of your zip code, you know. Broadband is, is not a luxury. It is, a, it is an essential uh, part of our daily lives now. And just because we live out maybe in, or I don't, but, you know, somebody lives out in far west Texas or, uh, you know, on the Sabine River over close to Louisiana, they also deserve access to a quality education and prospects to make a good living and be a productive citizen. And so we as Texans, we have an opportunity to stand up and, and take advantage of, of this funding that's coming down and maybe make some strategic investments uh, that Representative Howard was talking about next session. So anyway, I'm excited about where we're headed, and thank you for what you and your staff are doing to lead us in the right direction. Thank you. Yeah, so it's a little concerning that you have a sitting House Appropriations Committee member who's trying to define his version of free market economics that also includes, quote, incentivizing, right, companies to go out and build additional broadband services. I, I don't know about you, but no version of the free market that I've ever been taught, at least, has included the government being involved by, quote, incentivizing companies with taxpayer dollars. It's concerning that you have an appropriations member uh, that doesn't seem to understand that. Yeah, you know, we, we give, we actually give a talk on free market, uh, free market economics um, with True Texas Project, and I've done it with a few other groups as well. And we talk about the free market. And I kind of seem like we need to go give that presentation to these legislators so they can learn what the word free means. Uh, because free is is void of any kind of government interference. And so to talk about, to say something like, we need to incentivize these these businesses so the free market can work is just you know it's it's oxymoronic it, it's it's so dumb and uh they're they're tone deaf uh as to as to what what the deal is but it shows you're right it shows uh where our legislators are at um you know i wrote an article uh, last week i believe about 313s uh the the tax abatements which is the largest corporate welfare program in texas and one of the studies uh, that I, I cited in it was businesses, when they were surveyed, how many actually cared about corporate welfare when it came to determining them moving to Texas? It was 15% of businesses. And so a very small portion even considered that to be important, but yet we are willing, uh, as, a, as uh, our lawmakers are willing to just throw billions of dollars at businesses uh, to quote unquote incentivize them. And I, I think I made the point uh, on Twitter the other day as well, which is, you know, the incentive is profit and businesses, that is their motivation. A good, efficient business is going to profit. That is their incentive. 
And so we do not need to steal from taxpayers in order uh, to give to businesses to increase their margins even more. Uh, it's unfair to taxpayers and it's, it's criminal, quite honestly. It's the, the representative, it wasn't shown in this clip, but it, it the representative from the BDO, uh, which I, I hate, I hate the acronym. I hate the fact that this office exists, but this representative, uh, had, had one of the things he had said in this exchange was that we've reached, it was market failure, right? And for those that are familiar with kind of just economic terms, one, I wholeheartedly disagree that it was market failure. It's the market choosing not to provide for something that they're not going to make a profit off of, right? There's, there's obviously no demand for it. Or or the demand hasn't reached right the level that necessitates the market approaching it. It's it's this is a perfect example of so many other fights that take place in the legislature, right? Whether it's rural versus urban uh, lawmakers, Republican versus Democrat, right? That sort of thing where we are collectivizing, we collectivizing. We're asking state taxpayers, right? Taxpayers in Houston to pay for folks way out in let's say you know Plainview, Texas, or something, right? Um, or vice versa on things, right? when it comes to water and that sort of stuff. And it, it's, it's kind of infuriating, right, that, that we promote ourselves as a state as this bastion of just like, you know, we're pro business, we're pro, you know, free market economics. And we have so much corporate welfare in this state. We're picking winners and losers all of the time through a litany of programs. Of course, you talked about the 313 program, which is the largest in Texas, but this is just another example of where we're kind of the antithesis of the free market in a lot of ways. Um, and you got to see that play out uh, yesterday at the House Appropriations hearing. Yeah, you know, we, uh, you know, kind of, kind of on that, there's this culture of, of spending, which is going to take us to our, our last clip here. And uh, before, before we do that, I thought it was kind of awkward. We both kind of looked at each other. Uh, Representative, was it uh, Wilson, right? Um, uh, th this was when they transitioned to LBB. He was giving uh, some updates on uh, legislative uh, appropriation requests, uh, basically, you know, how much money we're going to give certain state agencies. Uh, and there's this awkward moment where, where Wilson's like, what, why are we doing this? How is this helpful? You know, and like everybody's just kind of really quiet. And then I, I guess Bonin kind of chimed in and basically says, you know, we, we have to do this. Uh, it's according to the rules. Uh, there's just this really awkward moment. Uh, but after kind of we got past that, there's a couple of really good questions asked to the LBB. One of them involved uh, the growth of these requests. So let's watch the clip real quick and then we can, uh, we can discuss it. Is there a way for you to make this information digestible for us so that you take what we appropriated for all these agencies last session and what they asked for in these LARs and these exceptional items, and you tell me what the growth is. Oh, yes, sir. In fact, uh, interesting you asked that because I was doing that in the back room just a little bit ago. So uh, the 2223 GR base that was in the 20. That was in your last general appropriations act was about 120 billion roughly this 15 billion added on top of that in other words if you added all this to it it's about a 13.1 percent increase okay does that so a 13 percent increase in state spending is what our agencies are asking for writ large if if you funded all these exceptional items as written and, and again just to make make a point these are just the agencies above 40 million in appropriations of course, those not included here are relatively small. Got it. Did you know what? And, and I can, if I can add one caveat to that as well, the thirteen point one percent is the exceptional item total that that Aaron had referenced earlier, the fifteen point six. There are several agencies, specifically TEA and Health and Human Services, 
who put in placeholder items just to keep the conversation moving. For example, uh, TEA had an item for educator staffing, but they just put, I mean, they just put it like a blank. It was like $2 or something okay. just to consider the conversation. Medicaid cost rates, uh, cost increases will be another thing that was a placeholder. So that's not in that 15.6 that we referenced earlier. But if you look specifically at those items, you'll see that we highlighted those as sort of placeholders by the agencies. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah, so that's interesting, right? I mean, this is obviously a question that we had, and Representative Schaefer asked this question in this exchange, which is, you know, like, what is the what is going to be the difference from what we appropriated last time to this time, right? What are these agencies asking for? And, you know, over 13% is is not a small chunk of change, right? Um, I'd like to know, did my wallet, did did, did I make 13% more <laughs> as a taxpayer uh, since, uh, since two years ago? I, I don't think so, right? In fact, if anything, I'm making less because of inflation and everything else. And so it's, this moment speaks to, I think it really sets the stage for this next legislative session where you're going to have a bunch of lawmakers, appropriators, right, on the House Appropriations and Senate Finance Committee, um, kind of probably just go along with whatever the agencies are asking for, right, without giving a second thought to, well, maybe instead of doing this, we should also tighten our belts, Right. Yeah, you, you know, there was a lot of uh, showing of the cards in the hand. I always like to use that phrase, you know, so the Senate does it a lot. Uh, they kind of uh, stumble over their words and kind of let us know where they're headed. And there was a number of different uh, uh, representatives who commented. I think uh, Gonzalez commented that we're the, lo the lowest legislative staffer in, in Texas history. I don't know if that's true or not, but this is what she said. And of course, in my head, I'm like, I'm like, yes, good, good, less. But her insinuation was, we need more. We need more bureaucrats, right? Uh, I think there was uh, someone quoted uh, what the how big, how big inflation was since uh, 2015, and it was something insane, like 27%, which is is crazy, right? And they're going to use this as justification to grow state agencies. But we, uh, in our Texas Prosperity Plan, have operated under the premise that government is already too big, and so I don't really care how much inflation is. Our government is far, far too big. Like literally we could chop it in half and it would probably still be too big. Uh, we have a $260 billion buying budget. Uh, and, you know, based on conservative metrics and, and essentially this idea of, you know, the conservative Texas budget that TPPF has, has uh, promoted as well as us uh, in the past, um, with inflation as high as it is, we're probably going to be around 15% uh, to for a, a spending cap somewhere in that, that neighborhood. And so I think TPPF has released uh, their their new uh, report yes or what they're going to be asking so it'll be interesting to see uh, what they recommend if they think that that will actually be conservative or not I can tell you right now TFR does not think that is going to be conservative uh, we would uh, we're advocating for a freeze on the budget and it, it needs to stop and this uh, this clip is a perfect example these this this legislative action uh, excuse me appropriation request by the OB was just a select few agencies I think it was like education and something else and so they're already showing their hand and saying listen we're going to grow these 13%, um, and that's not going to count all of the, uh, you know, people who try and tack on amendments and get more more money for all these other agencies or give raises to, you know, legislative staff or any state staff. And so I think we're in for uh, a big one. We're going to grow our budget very, very big if we do not uh, step up and demand otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things at play here, right? Absolutely, wholeheartedly agree that, like, 
taxpayers should be concerned, not only because we're going into a legislative session where they're setting the narrative, right, that we need to increase spending on things, but that they've also got a $27 billion surplus to put, to play with. Right. And as we talked about several times, that surplus represents an over collection of tax money already, right. From taxpayers that meaning they didn't need it right from the, the, the past biennium. So we shouldn't just give them free license to spend that right on top of whatever it is that they're going to set the narrative for that necessitates spending this go around. The, the other thing that, you know, and we kind of spoke to this, right. When you were talking about representative Mary Gonzalez, in her moment talking about where we're at the least amount of state employees, right? Is that it, it's, it speaks to kind of where the, this weird dynamic where they always look back and, and make this like kind of assumption, this silent assumption that the last budget we passed was perfect, right? Like that was the perfect size of government. So we need, because Texas's population has grown, we need to grow the budget, right? And we take a completely different approach to that. We think government was already, it's, it's too big now. It was already too big. And so if anything, we need to get back to, right, uh, a budget that actually, um, actually addresses the kind of the current size and scope that Texas is in. And, and we've been decades away from that. Uh, that sort of thing. And I think that really speaks to the, the interesting kind of disagreement, uh, if you will, on, uh, on how we budget as a state. And it's concerning that lawmakers are so, they, they're so close-minded on the timeline to only think at two-year increments. Yeah, I, I, I honestly couldn't care less uh, how much our population has grown. Uh, that's not even a metric that comes into my mind when we're talking about the size and scope of government. Uh, it is, you know, have you have you ever heard anybody say, you know, no, the government is not too big when we're out talking to conservatives? Uh, of course not. You know, everyone thinks the government is too big, certainly the federal government, but the state government as well. And the fact that it is already too big tells us that we need to restrain it and actually cut it. I mean, a freeze is a good option. That's what we want to start with. But the reality is we need to shrink the size of government. And one of the main reasons is, you know, when government grows, it never seems to shrink. It only gets bigger and bigger. And this uh, causes problems like, uh, for instance, Ashby's remarks, right, that uh, things like government incentives, you have billions and billions of taxpayer dollars. And then you, you hire all these people, all these bureaucrats, you have you know, incomes dependent on the government now. And so it's very hard to slash government and, you know, just fire thousands of people and say, well, what? we have all these billions of dollars that we can, you know, uh, create, you know, public private partnerships with and uh, stimulate the economy. And so it's it's this uh, Leviathan, right, as Hobbes says, it just it just doesn't ever seem to shrink. And so we have to realize that it is already too big and it's going to take a massive amount of effort to restrain the size and scope of Texas government. And I think a very practical first step is just stopping it in its tracks. And if inflation is great, well, well, that's fine. You know, let's operate within what we have right now. And if, if we have surpluses or we increase the surplus, we will simply give that back to taxpayers in the form of things like property tax um, elimination. Definitely agree. I mean, we it, the fact that the first thought from lawmakers isn't to return not only the $27 billion projected surplus back to taxpayers, but also like we understand taxpayers that you are hurting, right? Likely because of issues caused by government, right? Not only government spending, but obviously the Federal Reserve and everything else. If their first thought is to not return, right, that money and then also, right, limit the amount that they're spending because they don't they're not a for-profit entity they literally make money or get money from taxpayers uh we should be concerned and that should be what we're striving for right is making that their top priority amen 
Well, that is uh, all the time we have today on uh, the Taxpayer Talks. Enjoy talking with Jeremy. We want to remind everybody that we are in early voting right now. Election day is November 8th, uh, not next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after that. So get out and vote. Vote for fiscal conservatives that are going to restrain the, the size and scope of our governments. Uh, and, of course, we will see you all next Thursday. Thank you very much for being with us. Look out for that bonus episode tomorrow morning. For even more content, follow us on social media at Texas Taxpayers on Facebook and Instagram at Texas underscore taxpayers on Twitter. Subscribe to The Fiscal Note, our weekly email jam-packed full of information important to Texas taxpayers at texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. And then make sure to check out our Texas Prosperity Plan, texastaxpayers.com slash TPP. Thanks. 